The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. I have many mixed feelings this morning to be here. Um, it's been a while, and uh, it's always such a joy to, especially on the Sunday morning gathering. Uh, there's so many of us, all of all ages and sizes and directions, and yet we all come together in this one space and do this one thing, this one inconceivable activity that we can't explain to anybody who hasn't ever done it before. We can't really tell what it is. You have to express, experience it. Except for being in a play, being Mahapajapati uh, on her deathbed, uh, I haven't been here for a couple of years. Um, I hope you all saw the the play of Mahapajapati asking Buddha permission to die um, at the age of 108, I think, or so. <laughs> it was a very funny thing. Um, but otherwise, I um, have been here off and on for, I had no idea how many years until my students started looking it back into the archives of the IMC uh, recordings that were made. And they go way back. And they've been p- pulling them off of the web and, tra- and transcribing them. And uh, they go back at least to uh, uh, 2002, um, maybe farther back than that. And I've been editing them, which is a, a very curious experience because you have to confront your own dumb voice <laughs> on the page and see how many uhs and thes and justs and reallys uh, appear <laughs> that are not appropriate at all. Uh, so um, it's been a very interesting experience, and I feel like I've been with IMC for these last weeks very, very close by uh, with all the words that we ever exchanged um, through the years. So to, to, and then when Gil called me and said, oh, please come, I thought, oh, this is, this is, this is in the flesh also. So this is a true pleasure. I've been thinking a great deal about an old subject, uh, the subject of compassion. This is such a difficult can't isolate the difficulty it's everywhere. And it's a scary time. And I think we're all casting about for ways of feeling um, secure. 
And of course, the truth is we're not secure in the way that we would like to think we could be. We can't nail our life down because it's changing so quickly. Um, But we need some sort of place to put our mind so that we're not so discombobulated, so off-balance, so bewildered. Someone, I do not know who, I can't guess who it was, took a sticky tape, those little sticky notes. When I opened my front door, the sticky note was on my front door, on the outside of it. And it said, in somebody's handwriting, the universe loves you. I thought, oh, thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) And uh, I thought, yes, of course, it's true. And if the universe loves me, well, I love the universe. This This is wonderful. And this is the way it is, truly. We miss it because we have so much going on for us. We're a body, for one thing. And at my age, um, as some of you probably know too, it becomes a kind of centerpiece of everything that goes on in your life because there's so much care. Um, the poor old thing needs a whole lot of attention. <laughs> and the other thing is that um, our lives in the Bay Area especially are so speeded up and so complex. We are pulled in a dozen different directions every day. Even trying to make the most simple life isn't simple anymore. Um, And so we need some way to feel more comfortable and remember where our place resides. Where is home for us? I hope we all have a house. Not everybody does. Um, But even if we don't have a house, we have a home. One of the great advantages of having discovered this practice is that we discover our home. It's right here. Right where we are. And that's true wherever we are. Even if the bombs are falling down. Right here. I heard a talk by a Tibetan monk who had been jailed by the Chinese for many years and came out 
um, really quite disturbed in some ways because he'd been beaten and tortured in so many ways for so long. And yet when he was asked how he felt about the Chinese, he said, oh, oh, I, it's all right, I forgive them. They too, even they, even those people who were beating me, There is a place in each of us, in all beings, which are trying to reach that, connect. Our work is to make the connection. In spite of all the complications that we deal with, all the clashes, you could say, the anger that we carry, the jealousy, the the ignorance, the willingness to be blind to what's actually happening. Uh, All of those things get in the way of what the Dalai Lama calls simply kindness. The kindness that we have in us, that we are, Actually, we don't have anything. We don't own anything. And in a sense, we're totally free that way. Free as a bird. Free to be kind. We are programmed with our lizard brain to feel like we have to protect ourselves in every situation. Be very, very careful, especially in a big city like this whole amazing, it's so huge now where we live. And people walk around with knives and stab people and we read about it in the paper and so we keep our kids close and we... um, try not to ride Bart anymore and (laughs) there are so many very, very tricky feeling places that we don't want to go. And yet, at the same time, we're being called on to come and help, to reach out, and to be wherever we are, as kind as we can. I'm finding in old age, which I'm studying because it's so interesting, it's also kind of a pain, but uh, it's also fascinating. And one of the things is that you get your relationship with uh, the community is either being completely ignored or um, being helped across the street and open doors and um, being coddled and um, helped in every possible way. Um, There are times when trying to go in the post office 
teenage boys will just jam right past me and leave me standing there wobbling on my cane. Um, And other times when some kid will come along and take my hand and walk me. I think, oh. So it's about how awake we are to others. That makes the difference um, not just in this particular subject, but in every subject, including our relationship to the land, to animals. How kind can we be to the dog in our neighborhood who's barking all night? <laughs> we hate the darn dog after a while. And that's a very interesting thing because then we find it in ourselves. <clears throat> we find that hating of it and think, oh, that's an interesting feeling. That's a dog. That's a miserable dog. It's a very unhappy dog. <laughs> so it, it takes an extra step very often takes an extra step of clear thought to see what's actually happening, to clear the way for kindness to come through, to to see through uh, the, the boulders that clog us up the boulders of self-regard and fear that keep us from opening up to the noisy kids on the street or the person who passes us and rudely, rudely on the highway. All the annoyances, the irritations, the, it, it, it's so easy to just be up in arms half the day. And yet, being up in arms, we have an opportunity to see how we operate, how our mind and our emotions operate. And seeing that, we can see through. Say, oh, oh, I see. This is how it is. But I don't have to be like this. I can stop. I can stop. I can look more clearly and more deeply and also have an op- more open view. Often we're so narrow. I'm so narrow. I just have my own little tiny life and I try to make it as perfect as I can. I think we all do. And yet there's this huge, huge life around us and we ourselves are so much bigger than we know sitting practice gives us a view of the working of our mind we have to see when we're not doing anything at all we have to see how our mind is working 
we can't turn on the TV or jump in the car or start a conversation. We can't distract ourselves from the way our mind is working. We just sit down quietly. And in the quiet, even though the mind is spinning with all its foolishness, after a while, it begins, the silence begins to fill us up all the way down to our belly. And we begin to see through all the foolishness that's going on inside us, all the crazy thoughts that are just thoughts. They're just wiggles in the brain. You can measure them on a machine and you can just see it's a line. But it's fake. The only real is what you're doing right now and who you are right now. You could call yourself the real you. And I think we who sit mean so well that sometimes we feel really badly when we come on those parts of ourself that are so recalcitrant and we can't tame them and they're not very nice and we want to be better. But we can hold those parts. As Thich Nhat Hanh says, you can hold yourself. Take care of it. Appreciate it. We're just human beings. And though we're sitting and working on ourselves in this wonderful way, this inspiring way, we'll never be perfect. And really, if you think about it, it would be horrible if we were. Imagine a world of perfect people. Ooh. <laughs> not, so, not so much fun. And we need fun, too. Uh, Sometimes we take this practice so seriously in Zen, it turns into a very serious matter often. When people walk around like this, very serious faces, like that. (laughs) And when I first saw that, I thought, no, I don't want anything to do with that. But my teacher uh, was very different and was considered to be a real renegade because he did not encourage that kind of behavior at all. Um, And he was a lot of fun as well as a very, very deep and serious person. And he always instructed us. He would give us zazen instructions, and of course, in Zen, they're very, very particular. You have to line up your ears with your shoulders and your nose with your navel, and then you hold your hands this very special way against your hara. And um, after you've got yourself all straight and trying to be as proper as you can, he says, "Now smile." <laughs> 
And he pointed out that most statues and drawings of Buddha have a little smile. And I started thinking about that and and read about smiling, and it actually has a huge effect on how our brain is working. So that smiling, um, there's a lift in our consciousness, a lift in how we feel about our life. And you can, rem- you can notice that by remembering how it is if you walk down the street and somebody smiles at you and says, good morning. Oh, it makes so much a difference, especially if you're feeling kind of low. And if you walk down the street smiling, everybody smiles back. Almost everybody. Now and then you'll meet a real grump. But um, mostly people respond. And sometimes I think about our practice that if we do nothing else, we can walk through our life smiling and help at least that much. At least that much we can give away, if not more. Of course, essentially, we can give everything away. as we do. Not like St. Bridget, who gave all her father's clothes away, and and he said, when she gave away his shoes, he said, no, Bridget, that's too much. You know, you can't do this. But our life is a gift to those who we know and those we are affecting. We, each of us, leave a wake behind us that we'll never know. But the more possessed we are of a consciousness of a self that is kind, that wants to be kind, the more helpful we can be in the world, the more we have to give, and the the less resistance we have to giving because, of course, that's a difficulty sometimes. We have that feeling that we need to hold on, not let go, because maybe there won't be any more. Maybe there isn't enough. The secret is there's always enough. There's always, always enough. Of a friend of mine went to Nova Scotia to sit with Pema children, and uh, she asked each person to come to the retreat with something very precious that they owned, something they really, really loved to offer on the altar. So she brought a watch that her grandmother had given her, a very beautiful watch that she especially loved put it on the altar, and then they had a whole week of Pema and the ocean crashing on the cliffs and the whole scene. And then it was time to go home, and they were waiting to go back to the altar to take their things home, and Pema said, oh no, they're staying here. It was a shock. 
And they had to struggle to give it up. It's how we are. And we need to see that. We need to see how we hold on, how we grasp, how much we want to keep even the things that we can't keep. Someday, our house will fall down. Someday, everything in our house will be gone. Someday, we'll be gone, and nobody will remember who we were. That's very disturbing, really. (laughs) It's not very nice to think of, but it's true. So we're here briefly and very importantly. It's very important that while we're here, we do good work. We work hard on ourselves to know ourselves well and work hard on our connections so that our world, which needs us so much, has us. We are our gift. We ourselves are the gift. So that's what I brought to say today. And I think there's time for questions, discussion. Yes. I'm having some trouble with this story about Pema. It seems like some of that story is trust. People trusted something, and then she took the she's went back on the trust. I, I'm having a tough time with it, as a Dharma teaching what she was doing. I mean, I think she's great, but mm-hmm. the story it seems about it's about trust, you know, and she went against their trust. Well, she hit them in their grasping place. She hit them in their owning place. Mm-hmm. And um, she had not promised that they would be able to take them home. She just said, offer them on the altar. So there was no, I don't think she she was tricking them, except in their grasping place. Mm -hmm. And she hit them hard there. (laughs) (laughs) I guess for me, I, I... I grew up in a comfortable middle class white family and I have you know I had plenty of everything I needed and I have things from my parents but I don't I can't really speak or know people who have been in very extreme situations may they have one thing from their family from another country I I uh, I, I have a hard time with that I can't judge what someone else the meaning something has for somebody else do you understand I do, I do. And there are many things that are very, very precious. Mm-hmm. But uh, they're just things. Mm-hmm. And things are just ideas that we have about one thing as, uh, compared to another. Mm-hmm. You know, you have this beautiful watch and you have a dog turd. 
And we say, oh, this thing is horrible and this thing is wonderful. Uh But it's just... (laughs) I know, that wasn't very nice. (laughs) But I know what you mean. I I know, It's, it's hard. It's really hard. But we don't, we don't really own anything. My teacher was terrible. He would come into someone's home and they would have some Japanese antique thing and he would admire it. Oh, he, and, and then he would go and they'd look around and it was gone. Klepto <laughs> <laughs> Roshi, huh? Yes. <laughs> so watch out. <laughs> Uh, you've talked about aging, and I wonder if you could talk to us about how your views of mortality have evolved through your life. Well, they didn't evolve very much, actually. Um, because when I was a little girl in third grade, uh, one of my best friend's sister in fourth grade Um, died right on the spot in school. And I thought, oh my God, little girls can die? So that was huge. And I took that to uh, deeply inside to know that everything was up for grabs all the time. And then... um, all through my life, up until my 50s, I was aware of it, and I lost some friends. Um, And then I came down with cancer in my 50s, uh, twice in a row. And the first time I thought, oh, this is nothing. And the second time I thought, my goose is cooked. Um, And that was very interesting, because my teacher sent me to Green Gulch, to sew a brown robe, which meant um, finishing up the practice you know, and becoming a teacher if you survive. And um, while I was, I sewed with Blanche Hartman and a man who was dying of AIDS. And so the man and I were sewing up a storm because we needed to finish and before we died. And um, he was such a nice guy. And we were having such a good time that uh, it was a wonderful experience. We would go outside for lunch and eat in the grass, and it was springtime, and it was beautiful grass and the flowers and the, the air from the ocean was coming up, and we were just marveling at how great it was to be there and to be alive, and, and it didn't matter. No, the dying part didn't matter. It was it was the best lesson. So that, um, and before that, I had told my my teacher. I told Coben that I had cancer, and and he told me you all we all have to die. 
And that was a great relief to me. I just I realized again, of course, we all have to die. We all get a turn. But now, <laughs> now, um, I feel very close to it. Uh, it's not maybe or sometime. It's going to be tonight, tomorrow. <laughs> you know, one one doesn't know. And uh, the the more feeble this poor old thing becomes, the more obvious it is that it's not going to last very long. I started making a list of the indignities of age, and there were so many. After a while, I stopped reading. <laughs> So it's kind of like that. <laughs> yes? Got the one that's either red or off. Uh, can you hear me? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, your talk today uh, got, well, reminded me of something, or or it's touching on something that I've been seeing a lot, thinking, spending time with in recent months, and. Um, it's, it's about thoughts, but it's also about habits. And I'm finding that a lot of my thoughts aren't thoughts at all. They're habits. Yes. And the habits uh, cause me to act in the world in a certain way because I respond to what I'm habitually, the way I'm habitually seeing things. Yes. And um, th- I, I, I uh, wonder if you have anything you could say about that? I think that's part of our work. It's certainly part of my work. It's tiresome. It's very, very tiresome. You just find yourself doing things that you really, you you don't have time for. Or or I do. I, I I have to be on the computer because I do a lot of teaching through the computer on Skype and also on emails. And um, I'm emailing with somebody in Australia who hears the talks that on online. It's uh, this whole world of communication is so huge that I get caught up in it, and I just spend way too much time doing that just sitting there in front of the computer and then I get up and I I, I'm, I it seems like there are many other things that I would much rather be doing and that I could be doing if I were more careful and mindful about how I did it. 
I get caught up by, you know, that somebody will send me something interesting. And, and I listened to a whole hour and a half talk yesterday because somebody sent it to me. And I thought, oh, I need to hear this. But I, I could have done without that. <laughs> I think we just have to keep being careful and not lash ourselves too hard if we mess up. Just look at it. Make a list. Decide, oh, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'll just do it this way. That's what I'm doing. I'm trying to revise my life a little bit so it's not so uh, tiresome. Habitually tiresome. Yeah, it's an excellent question. Yeah. Yes. Do we have time for one more question? I have no idea. Do we have time? <laughs> yes. This question just occurred to me, and at the risk of, uh, well, I'll just uh, ask the question. Um, if if you had, say, three minutes or four minutes or so to talk to Donald Trump what what might you say to him? What might you ask him? That's my question. We should all speak to Donald Trump. We should all speak truth to him. Kindly. And offer to help him as best we can. Ask him how we can help him. Ask him if he would take some advice from us uh, because we are his people. We are his people. That's what I would say. You think, Donald Trump, that you have people and they are yours but that's just a tiny little bit of the whole world of people who belong to you and we represent them we're all there with him now and we're telling him you represent us and we have some things to say to you about what you're doing yeah, I think we have to talk turkey to him. Don't think it'll do any good. <laughs> he doesn't have that kind of mind. It's the mind itself, I think, that is the problem. And that's what makes this so mysterious and so interesting. This whole situation is like the mind, the 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 mind of us is getting tweaked and twisted and there doesn't seem to be a way to untwist it yet no. but we need to keep keep at it however <laughs> it is an honor to be in your presence what 
In what is the difference between generosity and kindness? Hmm. Well, I guess we can be generous without being kind. Um, And often are. Uh, Kindness is a more general state of mind. And generosity is an an action. Uh, Out of our kindness, we enact generosity. I think that's the difference. That's interesting to think of that. Yeah, I think that's it. Thank you. Are we done? Thank you all so much.